Forrest Gump. You know that name, right? Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump uh, arrives at the pearly gates and finds an angel standing there. Good to see you, says the angel. But Forrest, I need to let you know something. Because we're filling up really fast, we now have an entrance exam. But fortunately, it's a short one. Forrest replies, Well, nobody told me about an entrance exam. Sure hope it's not too hard. It's only three questions, Forrest, said the angel. The first one is, What days of the week begins with the letter T? The second is, how many seconds are there in a year? And the third is, what is God's name? Force leaves to think about it. And then he returns and says to the angel, well, the first question, what are the days in the week that begin with the letter T? Shucks, that's an easy one. That's today and tomorrow. The angel says, Forrest, that's not what I was thinking, but I'll let you have that one. How about the next one? How many seconds in a year? Now that one's harder, said Forrest. I I thunk and thunk about that, and I guess the only answer can be 12. 12? Forrest, how can you come up with 12 seconds in a year? Forrest replies, shucks, there's got to be 12. January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd. Hold it, the angel interrupts. I get it. I'll let you have that one too. But let's go to the final question. Can you tell me God's name? Sure can, Forrest said. That's even easier than the first question. It's Andy. Andy? How in the world did you come up with Andy? Shucks, that's the easiest one of them all, Forrest replied. I learned it from a song. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. Obviously, Forrest misunderstood the words from the hymn in the garden. But in an innocent way, he understood the truth behind it. There is a garden. And we will be in God's company. Last week, we left off with God making all things new. To include a new atmosphere, a brand new earth with some 
radical differences and a new home. The Father's house. The holy city. The new Jerusalem, which the Apostle John watched descend from heaven like a bride. If you recall, the holy city was unimaginable and and wondrous in its beauty. And it was enormously massive. It will be the capital city of heaven on earth. But more importantly, it will be a place where God himself will dwell in full fellowship with his people. All things will be brand new. For the former things, the things in this life, will disappear. On John's angelic tour of the holy city, we saw described back in Revelation 21, it seemed like he was primarily focused on the structure and the design outside the city. But now as his vision continues, it appears John finds himself inside the city. Strolling down Main Street, describing for us what he sees along the way. On So if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, and we'll begin with verse 1. Revelation 22, beginning with verse 1. You have it up there behind me? Good, okay. This is John speaking. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they need, and they will not need, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. In this passage, we get a picture of John walking down Main Street with his angelic tour guide toward the city center, towards the heart 
of the city. And the closer John gets to the city center, the less it seems like a city and the more it seems like a garden. In many respects, reminiscent of the garden paradise found in Eden. We're told by John that in the heart of the city is the throne of God and the Lamb. They appear together. And the throne seems to be the centerpiece of the holy city as it should be. And coming from the throne, right down the middle of Main Street flows the crystal clear river of the water of life. If you recall back in Genesis, a river also flowed in Eden to water to gar- water the garden. And so we begin to see some parallels between the first garden in Genesis and this new garden in Revelation. And in some respects, we might say these two gardens serve as bookends of the Bible. Now, John's not done, for he sees the tree of life, which definitely brings us back full circle to the Garden of Eden, but with a twist. And let me explain. The Greek word here for tree is exelon. Okay? Exelon, which is not the usual word for a living tree. Instead, it is a word typically used for an object made of wood. The same word the Apostle Paul often used to describe the cross of Christ. So, surprise, surprise, this tree is unusual. And in some special way, it may be a blend It may blend the idea of the cross with the living tree of life described in the Garden of Eden, becoming, I don't know, this this ultimate, this ultimate tree of life found in the heart of this holy city. John continues and tells us the tree of life is on either side of the river, which is a little confusing to picture. Some suggest that John is describing multiple trees on either side of the river, or just one tree in the middle of the river with water flowing around it. Or as I tend to think, it could just be one giant tree that spans the river, like one of those giant redwoods in California you can drive a car through. Whatever the case, whether it is a tree or trees, depending on your view, it's watered by this life-giving river and it produces fruit every month. So either there are 12 trees, 12 different trees with different kinds of fruit, or there is one single tree producing 12 kinds of fruit, which I think would be really awesome. 
Okay. Is that is a tree up? Okay. That's the best picture I could find. Okay, since there is this fruit tree in the holy city, some people, namely me, wonder if we will eat. Because I like to eat. I'm a Baptist. The best answer I could find is that we can eat. But I don't know if we will have to eat. In his resurrection body, Jesus enjoyed food with his disciples. Remember that? We also know from Genesis 18 that angels ate with Abraham. And we can't forget Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, where Jesus told the church in Ephesus that those who overcome, He will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, it appears we can eat. I'm happy. But we may not need to eat. It may not be necessary. We're also told the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, which brings up a good question. Why would healing leaves be necessary where there is no pain, no sickness, and no death? Well, remember, the tree of life existed in the Garden of Eden before, before there was sin and sickness and death, before it ever entered the world. So it need not refer to healing of an illness as we might first think. The word used for healing is our source, is the source for our English word, therapeutic. As in, gardening can be therapeutic. So in that sense, it seems that these these leaves may serve an energizing or an invigorating purpose of sort, rather than correcting an illness which will not exist. Okay? Now before we move from the tree of life... I want to remind you that as a consequence of sin, there was a curse where Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden and unable to access the tree of life and thus live forever. And from that moment on, things went terribly wrong. Sin brought a curse which included disharmony and disease and death. And here, in the, in the garden center of this future holy city, everyone will have access to this tree of life. Because the curse will be gone. It's a complete reversal of the fall. Notice John says we will serve him. Which tells us we will not be idle or lazy uh, in his city. 
If you recall, before the fall in the Garden of Eden, Adam was given the task of tending and keeping the garden. So this might come as a complete shock to some, but work is not the result of sin. It's not a bad thing. It's part of God's perfect original design. So we will serve God. We'll be busy and useful with the talents and the gifts He has given us. But we won't have any of the limitations and the burdens we currently experience. And better yet, we won't have the stress and the pressures and the headaches that come with our work now. Kind of as I see it, this service or this work will be very similar to a a, a passionate hobby that we enjoy doing now. That's how I see this service. It's a passionate hobby we enjoy and love to do. Then we're told something really unheard of. John says that those in the city will see his face. God has never been fully seen by men. Not even Moses saw God face to face. In fact, in Exodus chapter 3, we're told that Moses was afraid to look upon God. But here, in the heart of the holy city, we can look upon God's face without fear, for we carry His name and reflect His divine glory. So with all that, we come to the end of this city tour. But the book isn't over just yet. Let's continue with verse 6. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. As John was taking it all in, and granted it was a lot to take in, the angel knew that John needed to hear that these words are faithful and true. In other words, everything you have seen and heard and read is going to happen. And because it's going to happen, you had better pay attention. You had better respond. Because it's coming exactly as it has been revealed. The tribulation period is coming. And the stage is already being set. There are three series of judgments. The seal judgments. Followed by the trumpet judgments, and then later followed by the bowl judgments. Then Jesus will come suddenly to establish His earthly kingdom. It's going to happen. These words are faithful and true. Jesus is coming, so you had better get yourself ready and heed the words of this book, for you will be blessed. Do you recall 
The book of Revelation began with a blessing for anyone who reads and hears it. Now we are told there's a blessing for those who heed and keep the words in this book. This is the only book in the Bible that begins and ends with a promise of blessing to those who take it to heart. Now, following the words of the angel, John gives his own seal of approval and on everything that he had witnessed. And he says, beginning in verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Here John puts his own reputation on the line. In essence, claiming this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. It was a truth so overwhelming and so thrilling that John doesn't know what to do with himself. So what does he do? He falls down to worship at the feet of the angel. Remember, he's done that before. Back in chapter 9, he did the same thing and mistakenly fell down to worship an angel. But just like back then, the angel says, worship God. In other words, John, your response to worship is right. But the object of your worship is all wrong. Worship God, because He is the one doing all of this. Then, then the angel tells John, Do not seal up the words, because the time is near. John, don't keep these words to yourself. God's people need to know this book. It's meant to be read and studied and shared and applied. People need to know the reality of eternity. Eternity with God and unfortunately, eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. People need to see the hope pictured in this book. A hope that reminds them that the experiences in this life, in the here and now, are like vapors compared to eternity. John, do not seal up the words, even though at times they may be difficult to understand. For there is a promise of a blessing for those who take these words to heart. Now, in the remaining portion of this very last chapter of the Bible, we are given some final words to a fallen world. 
Let's continue with verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. I will admit these final words from the angel seem a bit odd. He seems to be encouraging the wicked to continue being wicked. But that would be contrary to the repeated pleas of repentance throughout the book of Revelation. Even during the worst parts of the tribulation period, there were pleas for repentance. So then what is John being told here? To me, it's almost like a form of reverse psychology. Go ahead. Touch the electric fence. See what happens. You wrongdoers, go ahead and keep doing wrong. Just keep doing what you are doing and see what happens. You've already been told what's in store for you. So go ahead and ignore God's warnings. And just so you know, in the end, you will get exactly what's coming to you. And there will be no more excuses and no arguments. And as for the righteous and the holy ones who may be suffering, keep on doing what you're doing too. Keep living godly lives, for in due time, in the end, you will come to realize it was all worth it. After the angel says his peace, Jesus has something to say to the churches, to us. So with great authority, he chimes in beginning with verse 12, and he says... Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. 
But after 2,000 years, we might wonder what quickly actually means to him. But it might help to know that the Greek word for quickly has less to do with how soon he will come and more to do with the suddenness, the suddenness of it when he does come. In other words, his return to the earth will be sudden. It will happen in a flash. That's the picture. It will happen in a flash. And when it happens, Jesus says he will render to every person according to what he or she has done. This is one of those, I have good news and I have bad news statements. Jesus says, blessed are those who have washed their robes, meaning they have been forgiven of their sins. They have trusted Him as their Savior and their Lord, and their lives show it. They are the ones who have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city where God dwells. That's the good news. The bad news is, The spiritually dead, the lost, those who have rejected Jesus Christ and continue in their wicked ways, they will never enter the gates into the holy city. And I want to clarify something here. It's not that the sins of sexual immorality and murder and idolatry, those things mentioned here, are so heinous that God won't forgive them, for He will. Instead, Jesus is talking about those people whose lives are characterized by these sins. It's their way of life. It's their normal lifestyle of sin which reflects what they truly believe about God. You cannot say, I know God, and then continually live in sin as if there is no God. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. And to those who do not belong to God, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's their continual way of life. They will never enter the holy city where God dwells with His people. Instead, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Jesus continues and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here Jesus reminds us of His timeless and sovereign nature. He is the source and the theme and the sustainer of all things. 
He is the beginning and the end and everything in between. That's who he is. Lastly, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. His last statement testifies to the truth of the whole book of Revelation. Like a king putting a royal seal on an official document, Jesus ties his reputation as the son of David and the son of God to the words of this book. And once these words have been written, there's no turning back. It's done. The words of this book are faithful and true because they are given by the one who is faithful and true. Now in these final verses, John concludes with a benediction, giving his own last words to the lost, beginning with verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus will be with all. Amen. This passage begins with an invitation. The final invitation for salvation given to the lost. To those who hear the gospel message spoken to them. To those who hear the hopeful promises. To those who hear the horrible warnings. To those who are drawn by the Spirit of Christ. To those who will. Then come. To those who know they are lost. To those who are spiritually thirsty. Let them come to the one who gives the living water of eternal life. Life that Jesus paid for with his very own. Now before concluding, John gives a personal warning from himself as the one who was given the vision by God and wrote it down in this book. And his warning is to those who would intentionally and maliciously and deceptively Alter God's word. John says that to do this, knowing what you know, to disregard and distort God's word in a deliberate way, 
essentially amounts to unbelief. And you will be treated as an unbeliever. If you think about it, in many ways, the Bible ends just like it begins. It comes full circle. The people of God are once again in paradise. Seemingly a garden paradise with a river and the tree of life in the heart of the holy city. Enjoying fellowship with God just like it was with Him in the very beginning. But between the beginning and the end of the Bible, between these two gardens, between these two bookends, is this lengthy account of God's interaction with a sinful and wayward people. And when all seemed hopeless, and when the time was just right, the Savior entered another garden. This other garden was Gethsemane. And it was in this garden that the unbearable magnitude of what Jesus had come to do weighed heavily upon him. Jesus knew that his hour had come and very shortly in obedience to his Father's will he would take the cup of God's undiluted wrath. Even though despised and rejected by the very ones he loved, Jesus would pay the terrible price for their sin and our sin with his very life on a wooden cross. Jesus, who committed no sin, would take the full penalty of sin upon himself so that those who place their faith in Him might enter into a right relationship with God and in the fullness of time enter this future garden paradise in God's holy city. At the beginning of my message, Forrest Gump made reference to a hymn entitled, In the Garden. And here are the words to that hymn. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses. 
And He walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'd stay in the garden with Him, though the night around me is falling. But He bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And He walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. The truth is, spiritually, we all fell in the first garden when sin entered the world. It was there that sin became part of our spiritual DNA, so to speak. But now there is this hope of a new garden paradise in the holy city where God will once again dwell with His people. A hope, a hope only realized by you and me through the willing obedience of our Savior in another garden. Jesus paid the price so that you and I could experience paradise with Him. The invitation has been given. Will you be there? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I I admit, um, I kind of struggled with it. Struggled with it. I thank you for Jesus. It's just hard to imagine that a holy and righteous God desires to dwell with me, with us. It's hard to fathom that you, Father, would send your Son, your perfect Son, your sinless Son, to die in my place. It's hard to comprehend, Lord. 
And even though I do not understand it, it is the truth. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for His obedience. Thank you that He surrendered to Your will, Father. He gave His life so that we might live. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray even now that that Your Spirit would just move amongst us, that we would experience Your presence. Move in our hearts, Lord. Help us like Jesus to be obedient to You and to respond to You. For You are good. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I look forward to that day when we can experience the garden with You. May You be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I find it amazing that after... 66 books in the Bible. Some of the very last words is come. Not so much to a garden. I know we talked about the garden a bit. But not so much coming to a garden. That's just icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. It's coming to a person. It's coming to a person, Jesus Christ. The only reason we will ever get to inherit and enjoy and experience that garden is because of the sacrifice and the pain and the suffering that that costs. He took it all. He took it all. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'll be honest with you. There are there are many times I wonder why me? I'm so wretched. So wicked. Sometimes I feel like Paul. He described himself as the chief of sinners. Sometimes it's hard to reconcile. It's like, Lord, I'm I'm a, I'm 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 a terrible man. I'm a terrible man. Why would you do that for me? But he loves me. He loves me more than I can ever comprehend. I'll never I'll never get it. I will never comprehend it. No way. But he loves me and he loves you. And he says, Come. Some of the last words out of his mouth. Come. It's an invitation. Come. 
pretty simple, isn't it? Just come. <laughs> come to me. <laughs> I was talking to the group earlier. We make things so much harder than they have to be. And Jesus just says, come, come to me. Come to me. Maybe you're here this morning. And you've never come to him. Oh, you come to church. I appreciate that. Thank you for being here. That's what he's talking about. I want you to come to him. He's the one who died for you. Who gave his life for you. If you have not come to the Lord, please let me know. I would love to invite you, introduce you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. I hope this is it. If the Lord's laid on your heart that this is where you need to plant some roots, then I, I would hope and pray you would obey Him and respond in kind. Or maybe there's something else going on. You just need prayer. Whatever the case may be, I just ask you to be obedient to Him and just follow Him. And just, take, and just come wherever He leads. I'm reminded that uh, Jesus had this one last time with his disciples in the upper room. Before he made his way into the garden. We're told that even though Jesus explained what he was doing when he, when he shared the elements, the bread and the wine, they didn't fully understand. They didn't fully understand until it was all over. But surely Jesus did. Surely Jesus did. And I, and I have to wonder as Jesus broke the bread with, with His disciples, He was keenly aware of what was coming, didn't, wasn't He? He knew exactly what was coming. Even, even prophecy had foretold that He would be crucified. He knew he would be crucified. That had to weigh heavily upon him. Had to weigh heavily. And then he made his way to the wine. He knew that his blood would be spilled. He knew it. What goes through his mind? It's just, it's just, it's just hard for me to even comprehend what he's thinking. Jesus knew that we were a fallen people, a wayward people, a sinful people. 
He knew that. He also saw our inheritance. He saw eternal life. He saw all that. And he willingly walks into the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that just in a matter of hours he would be arrested taken for a sham trial in the middle of the night taken before Pilate and crucified he saw all that as he shared the elements he knew all this was going to happen It's just mind-boggling to me just to fully understand how he was able to just to deal with all that. Thank God he was obedient to his father. Thank God he, he knew the plan. Thank God he surrendered. Jesus saw it all. He saw both bookends. He saw both gardens. In fact, he was there when the first garden was created. If you think about it, he was there. He saw both gardens. And because he saw both gardens, he could step into the Garden of Gethsemane and surrender fully to his Father's will. Jesus took bread and he broke it and he shared it. He shared it with his disciples. In fact, one of them he knew would betray him. And Jesus would tell you, these things must happen. It had to happen this way. It had to happen this way. Jesus said, this is my body. It represents my body. And when you eat this, remember what I did. Remember what this cost me. My body was broken for you. I love you that much. He told his disciples, eat. May we do likewise. Then Jesus said, this, this, this wine represents my blood. 
blood that will be shared for you. It represents the new covenant. Whereby we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We're made right with a holy and righteous God because of the shed blood of Christ. He told His disciples, drink. May we do likewise. Thank you for coming this morning. Let me let me pray for us. Let me pray for our offering, and also want to just say a special prayer for Arnold uh, Hatfield, uh, who is his, him and his family are struggling, and also I'll pray for our fellowship afterwards. So, Father, I thank you so much for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Father, for your watchfulness over us. I thank you that you're so good. I thank you that you're loving. Father, help us to live for you. I pray, Lord God, that Jesus would be our absolute everything, that he would increase in our lives and that we would decrease. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Help us to know you. Father, I pray a special prayer for Mr. Hatfield, who uh, appears to be at the end of his, his present life. Father, I pray that, uh, that your hand would be upon him. Father, if you desire healing, I pray, Lord God, that he be healed. If not in this life, definitely in the next. And Lord, be with, be with this family. Provide comfort and strength to them, Lord God, as they, as they walk through this with him. Pray, Lord God, for our offering this morning. You bless the gift and the giver. Help us, Lord God, to be cheerful givers. And the Lord, for our fellowship afterwards, Father, I pray that our fellowship would be sweet and meaningful. Bless the food to our bodies. Bless those who prepared and brought food. May you be honored and glorified. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.